0: Welcome to What Kids Need Most in a Dad. I'm your host, Michael Grant, and this is the first in a five-part series that we are going to be doing on the life of fatherhood and the importance of fatherhood in this role, um, and in particular its value in a coronavirus-ridden society, its impact that it's had. Uh, Wow, we have been impacted by this virus worldwide, and uh, one of the things that i found through the end of the 20th century and the beginning of the 21st century is how little time the family has been able to spend together because of uh, the modern technology, all the technology that we have been able to enjoy from iPhones, to iPads, to iPods, to the computers, the laptops, all of the things that we enjoy today. And, but it seems like these Um, technological advances have not only brought us great uh, knowledge, they have also driven us further and further away from the family and from the family unit. If we are truly honest with ourselves and so I began to examine that and the more I did the more I thought one of the things that I am thankful for about the coronavirus if there is something to be thankful for about it is that it has forced us to come back into our homes and then to make us look at each other once again and to spend time with each other once again and that's a good thing there's nothing wrong with that now it might be a little uncomfortable to begin with because we haven't done it for so long but it is a good thing and so that has helped me uh, come to want to do a podcast entitled What Kids Need Most in a Dad and I hope that you will uh, join with me and share this with your friends and share it with your family and, uh, and just let them know about this podcast. You can, you can do that. Share my name, uh, Michael Grant. I think it's Michael Grant 1 on, fa- on Facebook. And I'm also on Twitter and uh, you can email me at uh, pmnpk2014 at gmail.com I'd love to receive your comments and questions and quibbles and queries anything that you'd like to talk about you can email me there and just let me know but just share this and and let people know about this podcast and let Let the conversation begin as we begin this first important topic today on Just Add Water and Mix, The Myth of Instant Fathering. A lot of people think all you have to do is add a couple of drops and there, you've got a father, there he is. Now some might say, well no, that's not my father, Forget that. He was never a good father to begin with. Well, let's just take a look at it and let's begin because that could be very well true in a sense because Brian says this about fatherhood. He says, I'd like to talk to my father about my problems, but when I need him, he's not there. It's like he's a shadow. And Brian is age 15. And that's really the way a lot of teenagers are. The parents, in particular particular the father is out there trying to make a buck, trying to provide for the family. But in the middle of that provision He's forgetting the very people left behind. The son, the daughter, that needs desperately the attention of his boy and his girl. And so, I want to take you to one person, his name was the Apostle Paul, who has said this to us in Ephesians 6, 4, he says, Parents, do not treat your children in such a way as to make them angry. Instead, raise them with Christian discipline and instruction. Now, I look into that verse of Scripture and see a tremendous challenge to us as parents, in particular to us as fathers. A father is a man who struggles with what often seems as an impossible task. He does not want to exacerbate, frustrate, or discourage his kids. At the same time, He wants to train and instruct them. Sometimes, at least for me, it doesn't go at all according to the latest handbook on successful Christian parenting. It has been said that even God, who is the perfect father has children who go astray. I hope you realize that. A father is a man who agonizes over what he could have done differently and weeps when his children go astray but who still trusts and hopes that maybe, like the prodigal son, if you've heard that story or remember that story that Jesus talks about, that they will return home. Then, too, a father is a man who is always learning how to love. He knows that his love must grow and must change because his children change. A father relishes those small moments He knows what it is like to help with the building of a model airplane only to have it broken. And he also knows what it's like to help his teenage daughter mend her broken heart when her first romance doesn't work out. A father knows that everything... Is important. He knows that nothing is permanent. Each moment counts but no moment counts too much. A father knows how precious time is, not quality time but just time in its fullness and essence. A father is one who realizes the importance of being there to watch his son do his first dive off the high board. A father knows the thrill of watching his daughter ride her bicycle the first time. I remember that myself. I helped my daughter ride her bike down the street and saw her crash so many times But I remember her first time riding that bike down the street the very first time. It was so exciting. A father knows the mixed emotions of seeing his teenagers learn how to drive. As he hands them the car keys, he launches them on a new rite of passage. Those keys open the door to a different future for his children, one over which dad has far less control. The independence he has been trying to develop for so many years has just arrived on a tiny piece of paper stamped driver's license. For fathers of newly licensed teenagers, The familiar line from, uh, you know, this commercial that says, now the excitement really begins, pops up in his head maybe. A father knows the tenderness of having his daughter sit on his lap with her arms around his neck. Then it seems only a few moments later when her arms around, when her arms are around someone else's at an altar, and she is pledging herself to a new life in which he must play a different and separate role. Above all else, A father is a man who is honest enough to realize that he has to be more than just a good man. The psalmist David, for example, was a very good man. In fact, a man after God's own heart, according to Acts 13.22, but he struggled deeply in his role as a father. Likewise, Eli, the priest, was a godly man, but the scriptures remind us that the sons of Eli were almost worthless. It says in 1 Samuel 2, verse 12, we dare not underestimate the complexity of the task before us. A father is a man, my friend, who believes that there is a God who gave him his children as a gift and who loves them even more than he does. A Christian father does his best, all the while trusting the father of all fathers to work his perfect plan in all their lives. A father is a man who feels and shares and cries, who laughs and wrestles and hopes. He's a man who listens even when he doesn't understand. He's a man who listens even when he doesn't feel like it and he's weary. He stops doing what he thinks is important to do something else that may be even more important. A father is a man who is honest enough to realize that his responsibilities must determine his priorities. There is a basic kind of honesty that I tend to avoid because it costs too much. Yet I am constantly drawn to embracing that kind of honesty. It's the kind of honesty that pierces the sham of difficult things can be done instantly. It's the kind of honesty that realizes being a father is not merely going through the motion I can't pretend that fathering is something I can do in my spare time. It's the kind of honesty that realizes that I must make commitments of my time and energy and that I can trust in no easy answers and formulas. In short, I must make up my mind to really be a father and then get on with it. The great pastor Chuck Swindoll says it so well, when I quote, whatever else may be said about the home, it is the bottom line of life, the anvil upon which attitudes and convictions are hammered out. It is the place where life bills come due, the single most influential force in our earthly existence. No price tag can adequately reflect its value. No gauge can measure its ultimate experience and influence for good or ill. It is at home among family members that we come to terms with circumstances. It is here life makes up its mind. We can seriously underestimate the significance of the home. As Swindoll says, the home is the bottom line. So, because of this, and because our time is running short today on this podcast, I want to share with you a fact sheet that I've put together. A fact sheet for every dad. And I want to go through them quickly for you, for every dad today. Or, in my case, if you're a granddad too. But, I want you to listen. And I want you to hear this fact sheet and maybe they will resonate with each one of you, or maybe with your family, or maybe if you're even a child or a son or a daughter today, maybe they'll resonate with you. Listen up as I share these. Fact number one, I'm a dad even on the mornings when I don't feel like it, even when I know I blew it, even when I think I'd rather be doing something else, the central fact of my existence is that I'm a husband and a father. There are responsibilities, joys, and sorrows that come with the territory. Fact two, the home is the single most important influence on a family. I can delegate a lot of my responsibilities at work, but I cannot delegate my hopes for my family. The primary values, attitudes, skills, and competencies that my children will grow up with will be learned and not learned in my home. Fact 3. Because of its inherent difficulty and importance, fathering is the most dignified role I will ever play. Over the years, the dignity of fathers and fathering has been eroded. Television and other places like the internet has both portrayed fathers as buffoons, absentee workaholics, or permissive nice guys who don't have a significant value or ethic in their heads. It is no wonder that many men have ceased to devote the kind of time and energy that in the task of real fathering that it demands. Fact four, being a parent is one of the greatest sources of joy we can ever know. I really believe that. Murphy's Law notwithstanding, there are the impossible moments, but there are also those moments where fathering is just Plain fun. Fact five. We can all improve. There are some basic and vital ingredients to good parenting which are essential. We can learn what these are and use them. Parenting is not some stoic arc form that can be understood by only a few. With effort, we can all become much better, my friend. Fact six, everyone is unique. Our children are unique and so are we. As we continue to learn from each other, we must accept our uniqueness and discover creative ways to understand and respect one another. Fact seven, and finally, it is difficult to be a good parent. There are no magic portions or formulas. One of the great myths in our society is that we can be parents without real investments of time and energy. The truth is, and it's a great truth, is that there is no substitute for investment of time and effort. If we accept this truth, we are free to transcend the problem. Once we have genuinely realized that being a quality father or mother is difficult, then the problem no longer matters. We can get on with what we have to do, and that is what the rest of our time together on this podcast is all about, my friend. So, as we close off today and as we end this program, I want to remind you, share this podcast with as many people as you possibly can. Again, I'm on Facebook under Michael Grant 1, I believe, and I'm on Twitter. You can reach me on my email, which is pm and PK 2014 at gmail.com. and just start sharing this to everybody, your friends and family alike. Start letting them know that we are starting this podcast called What Kids Need Most in a Dad. And I'm excited to be sharing this with you. There'll be more uh, principles to be shared next time. I'll be with you within probably a week, week's time period to share more important information and principles for you dads. And I look forward to it again. And so let's get back together again and share some more on what kids need most in a dad. (music) Hi, my name is Michael Grant, and I'll be your host over the next uh, about 30 minutes. And we have been going over what kids need most in a dad. And the reason why I'm choosing that particular subject for my podcast is because we're rolling into the month of June, and of course, in the month of June is the the very special day called Father's Day, and so we're trying to uh, get into the subject of what is so unique, what is so special about fathers and fathers and the family really have been under such great stress and um, so I thought it would be good if we talked a little bit about it and and dived into that subject of fatherhood a little bit and so today we're gonna deal with this subject just love ain't always enough that's right you heard me right just love ain't always enough. The myth of love is all they need. Have you ever heard that before? Well, love is all they need. You know, I, I I, think as long as I give them love, that's all that they really need. Have you ever heard that before? Well, we're going to talk about that and, and really understand that and try to work with that and see if that really is true or not. Now before I get into this, I want to remind you, I do have an email. Uh, if you want to contact me, it's PM and that's a n d p 2014 at gmail.com. Or you can contact me on social media. Uh, Michael Grant 1 is my Facebook uh, uh, code name and uh you could also find me on twitter under michael grant and that type of thing and so look me up and let's try and connect um definitely email me and get in touch with me look at i want to know if i'm if i'm hitting the right things if you're understanding what i'm talking about and share this podcast share it with your friends and your family and uh, let them know what's going on and what we're talking about and see if they enjoy it, see if they're liking what we're talking about on this this program. It's very, very important what is being shared because um, this is a subject of hope today. It really is. It's a a subject of hope. And what I'm offering is some practical encouragement uh, about Fathering and the the responsibility of fathering, and hopefully I'm going to be showing you that though it's it's uh, it's not easy being a dad today. It's a struggle. It's a challenge. It can be an exciting adventure and well worth the effort. But it's going to take some commitment. It's going to take enthusiasm. It's going to take some skill and imagination blended with some unique love and authority and all those things together. And that's what brings up this powerful and beautiful person called dad. And we're going to find that out. So what is it about this myth of love is all they need. Well, let's see what Alvin Toffler had to say because this is so very important. It says, The flood of change about to crash down upon us will spread from universities and research centers to factories and offices, from the marketplace and the mass media into our social relationships from the community into the home, penetrating deep into our private lives, it will place absolutely unprecedented strains on the family itself. And boy, we're seeing that today, aren't we? We're seeing, you know, everything with the, the social media, uh, you know, internet, Twitter, Facebook. Instagram, all of that, and whatever kind of pushes its way in there, I've not even mentioned. TikTok and all those other things that kind of bring into bear. Now, of course, we have had over the last year and so many months, this whole universal worldwide pandemic that has brought a whole nother strain on the family because what it's done is brought a lockdown and now it's forced everybody to come back home whereas every, all the teenagers have been able to go out and do their own thing. It's forced everybody to come back in and it's forced families to sit at the table or to sit together And now what do we do? When we haven't talked for months or perhaps years, what do we talk about? What do we do together? Uh, Interesting times that we live in. And hopefully uh, through these next several podcasts, I'll be able to answer some of those questions because I want to be able to bring families together during this time. And, you know, it's, it's a really, it can be a very special time. That's what I want it to be. The Apostle Paul says, my prayer for you is that you may have still more love. A love that is full of knowledge and wise insight. That's what he wants for us. That's a translation of the J.B. Phillips Bible of Philippians 1.9. And it gave me the courage to tackle what I'm talking about. This most deceiving myth of all regarding fatherhood. This myth is deceiving because it sounds so right. As moms and dads grope through the thick fog of parenting problems, they often flee to their last basin of security. We may fail to fulfill the image of super dad or super mom. We may fail short of servant leadership but we can always hold tight to the idea of what really matters the absolute bottom line love love we say almost with a sigh of relief is what really matters that that's really all that is needed surely I, I can try to give them that. And I understand that kind of statement. I, I've made that statement many times myself to my own kids. When I, when I talk about the, the myth called love is all they need, I'm not saying we should love our children less, friends. As Paul put it, My prayer for you is that you may have still more love. Paul was directing that prayer to Christians of all ages in the church at Philippi. But I think it has particular application to Christians today, especially Christian parents. Our children, in particular, need more love a powerful tenacious understanding discerning kind of love maybe one of the reasons most of us don't love more is that we don't we we think we already love enough and so i want to dive into this a little bit if you're okay with that and i i want to start by maybe talking from uh from the bible and i want to go to a passage found in in first john chapter 4 and verse 4 and 4, uh, sorry verse uh, 7 and 8 it says beloved let us love one another For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So right away we understand that this is a part of God. It's a part of his nature. God is love so we're not talking about something that is unfamiliar to who god is and if you're a christian then it should not be unfamiliar to your nature then or my nature the problem is like you and i when we get into problems that's when it hits right at home, if I can call it that. And we all have problems. Look at, I come from a divorced background. My mom and dad divorced before I was 14 years old. My dad left and he had already been married, I don't know how many times before he met my mother. And I married my first wife, thinking I was going to be married for life, and then she committed adultery on me, and so I had to, uh, we had to divorce, and I had three children, three beautiful children from my first marriage, and I was thinking I didn't want to go through that, and yet it was painful. It was Extremely painful and I don't want anybody to go through that. it was a it was a huge problem. We all go through problems. That's what I'm talking about and they' sometimes they're they're so very painful and and yet we talk about this thing called love and we say, yeah, but shouldn't love? Shouldn't that be all that there is to deal with it? Shouldn't that deal with the problem? No, it does not, friend. That is not the fix-all. Love is not always the fix-all to all the problems in our lives. It doesn't always fix it all. What fixes all our problems, what brings us to a better understanding of life is how we solve problems. How do we get past problems? Problem solving and the ability to solve problems is so very important. And so that's what I want to talk to you about quickly here um, as we get into this um, podcast today, Six Steps for Problem Solvers, because this will help you as a family, it will help you as a father, it will help you as a couple, it will help you as children, if you understand how to solve problems. Number one. The first step in problem-solving, believe it or not, is accepting the problem. Many people don't become good problem-solvers because they avoid admitting there really is a problem. You take your first step when you face reality and see that indeed there is a problem. It's kind of like some people think they want to deny there's a problem. Have you ever been in a situation like that? There's an elephant in the room, but nobody wants to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it, so they're kind of all sitting there, and you feel the kind of unique pressure or tension in the room, but we don't want to talk. We dare not talk about it, but there is indeed a problem. But you need to take the first step, my friend. If you're going to face reality, you need to take the first step and accept that there is a problem. But not only that, you make a decision to commit the necessary time and energy to solve it. Number two, the second step involves orientating yourself to the problem. A good problem solving and really all problem solving approaches reminds us that we must understand the problem from as many angles as possible. We need to break the problem down into logical parts we need to analyze it as carefully as possible seeing and observing as much as we can looking at it at in every way that's why it's important to sit down as a family and say what do you see or how do you see it or sister how do you see it? Or how do you see it there, Johnny? Or Susie, how do you see it? Third, the third step, possibly the most important, is to define the problem in the best terms that we know how. The most, uh, maybe I should put it this way, the Most good problem solvers say that once you have adequately defined the problem, you are well over halfway to solving it. Let me say it again. Once you have adequately defined the problem, you are well over halfway to solving it. Boy, isn't that good news? So once you identify the problem, you're already halfway there. Defining problems accurately is a skill that takes a great deal of time to develop. When you see your children coming home crying or frustrated or even apathetic and bored with school, try to ask them, my friend, well, what really is the problem? After talking about it for a while, it's amazing to see their eyes light up as they realize what the problem really is or was. As they define their problem in their own words and terms, they are often capable of solving their problems on their own. Now, the younger they are, they might need their he- your help with it, but the, old, the older they are, man, they'll take off and run with it once they find out what the problem is. Number four, once the problem is clearly defined, the fourth step is to creative, creatively brainstorm as many possible solutions and approaches to the problem as you can. Now here's where dads can shine. Dads can have a great time trying to help their children figure out creative approaches to problems that they are facing. The recent disagreements with, say, the best friend down the block. Um, Maybe their difficulties with schoolwork, why they're playing on the second Team instead of the first team at school, why they never seem to have enough money, or etc. etc. Maybe one is trying to realize that I must allow my children to accept their own problems. I can't go around constantly fixing problems for them. Instead, I want to give them the skills and attitudes they need to learn to solve problems on their own. This is a big one, Dad. It doesn't do them any good, or me for that matter, to lose my cool over their inability to solve a problem and then step in to solve it for them. Problem solving is one of the most important skills I want them to learn as they grow up. Number five. The fifth in this problem solving is to select one of the many ideas that I have suggested. After you help your children to think of every resource and possibility they can use to solve a problem. You need to guide them in making a decision and implementing that decision. This part of the process can lead to a lot of good, healthy dialogue between you and your children as you talk about what ideas will work and what won't work. Dads, you have the advantage in years an experience that can be helpful in guiding your children to make the best choices and then actually going ahead and trying to help them with the solutions, some of the solutions that they make. But remember to always try to see it from your child's point of view. And remember, whether you're dad or, like in my case, sometimes a papa or an oma or an omi, if you're that from that a part of the you know, uh, place, or grandma, or grandpa, makes no difference. Don't jam your solution down their throat. If you do, you are simply back to plain. Mr. Fix-It again. Number six, this is the final step, and it's called evaluation. Did the solution to the problem work or not? This is critical. After your children have given the problem their best shot, get together with them and measure the results. Did the solution fail or succeed? If the solution failed, help your children realize that that is not what it's all about. It's the learning process. The idea failed. They did not. Did you hear what I just said? The idea failed. They didn't fail. Help them realize that when solving problems, failure is a natural part of the process. Help them retrace their steps back through the problem-solving process that they have done and to analyze where it went wrong. Help them define the problem still more accurately and select another idea. Repeat the process. Emphasize that because one solution fails, it doesn't make your children failures. A failure is someone who quits and gives up. The successful person keeps trying many solutions until the right one works. Listen, Babe Ruth failed many times at bat until he finally became the great batter that he was. You can tell him that. Babe Ruth was not known as a great hitter. And He was known as a failure at the at the batter, at the, the, the home base, at the home plate before he became a great known hitter. But I'm very serious when I say teaching problem-solving attitudes and, attitudes and skills to your children is one of the most important things we can do to equip our children for the future. And that's why I say that, you ju- that just love ain't always enough. We must equip our kids with know-how, the kind of knowledge that demonstrates itself with proper attitudes and skills. And that's why um, I go back to the beginning again and tell you that the author says, um, according to J.B. Phillips, that he says in uh, in that prayer, my prayer for you is that you may still have more love, a love that is full of knowledge and wise insight. Now listen to me when I say this. In many homes, we face a crisis caused by what might be called a love gap. But still one of those but i'm still one of those who believes that a time of crisis brings the greatest opportunity the chinese understand this if you separate the two chinese characters that spell the word crisis you get the words, dangerous opportunity. In the most real sense, there has never been a time of greater opportunity to do more loving within the family circle than today, my friend. So I want you to think about this. Get your family together. And think about this. As we close off. What do kids need most in a dad? And I want you to remember to... Share this podcast with your family and friends. I'm so glad you joined me today. And I am so happy that I'm able to share this with you today. And I hope you will join me next time on another edition of What Kids Need Most in a Dad.